Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Play, Google Store, TuneIn, Spotify, all good podcast sites and indeed some of your bad ones. This is Anthony the Ball Caruso and with the return of local and second tier football just around the corner, we thought it would give a bit of an insight into what it is like to be in the middle as a part of what is considered the third team. Yes, we are talking about the referees. Often maligned, but 100% essential for the game. Referees have the challenging role of ensuring that a game is played within the spirit of the laws of the game. And while football has one of the relatively more straightforward laws of any of the winter codes, the challenges still remain with interpretation and man management during the games. So let us introduce our officials for tonight's podcast. We are, of course, blessed to have a couple of referees and umpires for different sports and Triple H sports. We all know about the Sultan and the Lord Mayor being uh, ex-rugby league referees and the Hat Rack being a cricket umpire. So let's surprise you with another one. Joining us is one of our regulars on Triple H sports. Uh, we've known her originally as the pocket rocket for cricket with the university's women's cricket club. But what you may not know is she is one of Football New South Wales' up-and-coming women's referees, Zoe Benjamin. Good evening to you. Yeah, good evening, Anthony, and good evening, everyone listening. It's uh, good to be back in the in the Splinters' seat. And, you know, a bit of a surprise, everyone, because many people not know, may not know about your experience as a football referee as well. Yeah, not that I'd expect them to, but, uh, yeah, just uh, just uh, another another leaf, I guess. Uh, I have been playing soccer, or well, been, been around soccer longer than I've been around cricket, believe it or not. But uh, yeah, both. So, Splinters has often been blessed with having access with some of the big names for interviews and discussions. But tonight is the first time that we can claim a big name within Australian football to join us. He is one of the leading referees for football in New South Wales. He's a former A League referee. Uh, some people may not know this in his spare time. He also plays cricket for Macquarie University in the Sydney Shires competition. Chris Griffiths-Jones, welcome to Splinters. Hello, Anthony. How are you? Zoe, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Very good. Um, how have you been kicking along with uh, the situation around COVID-19? Well, it's been a, a difficult period. Um, Football New South Wales had to stand a lot of employees down, including the referees department. Um, but we're really lucky that we've got a lot of volunteers around Football New South Wales that sort of chipped in and, and helped out and engaged with our referees during the three months that we're off. So we're all back now um, and the season started yesterday. So um, it's good to be back. It's good to be seeing football and um, hopefully we uh, don't have any hiccups with COVID and we can continue going. Now, tonight we will talk about the experience of being a football referee, especially at the Football New South Wales level. Uh, we will be focusing on three areas during this um, during this edition of Splinters. So uh, how do you get started, the experience that comes with coming through the ranks locally and through Football New South Wales along with training and development, the challenges of refereeing local matches against NPL, maybe even A-League and W-League, the administration and management between the head office and the referees. 
We're also going to open up for some fun. Look at some of the quirky moments of refereeing. We all know that with such a rich tapestry of football clubs covering covered within the Greater Sydney region, you can be sure to find some more fascinating stories. You know, we may even nominate some clubs who know how to look after their visiting referees as well in a in a completely above the table uh, format, of course. So with that, the referees have their whistles in the mouths. The assistant referees, yes, that is the actual title, ladies and gentlemen. I will not have anyone call, calling them a linesman in this uh, in this show or indeed any show in the future. Their flags are at the ready. The fourth official is making sure that the managers haven't launched into handbags at 10 paces. All is in readiness, so let us get this match happening. This is Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and indeed all good podcast sites. Now, Let's get straight into it. Unlike other winter codes, uh, football has a relatively straightforward approach to the laws of the game being that, you know, at its essence, there are only 17 laws of the game. And, Chris, I come to you to, to start off with. It really is one of the shining lights of, of learning how to be a referee is that the, the, the learning of the laws of the game is actually relatively straightforward. Yeah, it is. Um, and, that, and that's the luxury of doing these level four courses because you don't have to have a lot of experience to understand how to officiate and to, to referee games at the, uh, at the early stages. Within saying that, there seems to be a lot of interpretation of our laws and that's where the main discussions take place on was it a penalty, wasn't a penalty. Um, so the laws are very simple, um, but the interpretations um, can become quite complex. And Zoe, I mean, look, we, we come to you in terms of that, in terms of the discussion of the the interpretation. And as everyone would know, no two referees' interpretations are ever the same. You can be influenced in a certain way by other referees, but at the end of the day, your interpretation is your inter- interpretation and it ends up becoming your responsibility. Yeah, of course. And there's a number of things that influences that, that interpretation. And, and one of the biggest ones we talk about is, is football knowledge and having an understanding of of the game and getting a feel for the game when when you're out there and I think that comes with you know awareness of of what you know the sport expects to see and and what the sport expects your role to be but also what your role is as a referee in in managing that game now Indeed, and you talk about managing the game itself and the, the encouragement to use judgment and common sense when applying uh, the laws of the game, you know, unofficially, of course, known as Law 18. Now, a lot of players who often get involved, a lot of people who become referees, you know, may have been players in their time. Uh, I'll throw it to both of you. you know, is, has there often been a particular kind of player that you've often found has often excelled maybe at becoming a referee? Uh, I think anyone that's played the game um, has a good understanding of of how the game should be played. So uh, we talk about referees being player referees um, and that's basically where somebody seems to not look after the players but be a little bit more lenient and it just gives a bit of, you know, shows a bit of empathy towards players in certain situations. And I feel that if you do have that skill and that ability and it comes from playing and it can be from any position. I was a goalkeeper when I played. Um, it just gives you that sort of game empathy where you can understand why someone's done a certain thing um, and work with them to try and make sure they stay on the path. 
It's so funny that you mentioned that you were an ex-goalkeeper, Chris, because uh, throughout my time when I was refereeing within the MWFA, it was it was a interesting trend that we found that the best referees were were goalkeepers. And the two I would probably bring up that you would know quite well, uh, who one of them indeed went on to the A League as well, was uh, Matt Gillette, and the other one being Andy Best. Yeah. Uh, both of them ex goalkeepers. Yeah, like I don't know the, the psychological reasons behind why goalkeepers seem to do pretty good at refereeing. I guess maybe because we've got such a, a large view of the field uh, and we can see what's happening and we see what's going on and we can see what refereeing decisions are and, and so on. So maybe that's got something to do with it. But as long as we're showing some empathy towards players, um, you can't back out of decisions. Uh, if if they need to be sent off, they need to be sent off. Um, but there are those 50-50 ones where, you know, a well-managed referee can um, make a game a lot more pleasant for people. And indeed, and indeed, Zoe, you know, the management of per- that, that idea of managing personalities, you know, after a while you, it might get slightly easier because if you're refereeing similar level of matches after a period of time, you get to know a bit of the personalities. But if you're coming in for the first time and refereeing a team you've never come uh, come across uh, before, part of the challenge, I guess, would be understanding what kind of personalities you're going to be dealing with on the field and how do you and uh, do you need to adjust yourself to be able to cover the game or do you expect, have an expectation that the players should be, coming, should be adjusting themselves to your style of refereeing? Look, I, I think it's a it's a bit of a balance and having rapport with players, of course, always is always something that, that helps. But in at the end of the day, you do so many matches with so many different players that you need to be able to player manage a lot of different situations and you need to be flexible with the way that you do that. And one of that is having is picking up signs on on player habits. And, and the way that they go about things on the field, you, you can quickly learn who's going to be a problem player on the field just from attitude, the way they go into tackles. Like there, there are lots of signs. And I think having, you know, picking up on that stuff early and, and being proactive with it, it, it is, a, is a massive thing in, in helping you play and manage. Well, let's let's get started into it. Let, let's say you've just started off and you're interested in becoming a referee. So the formation of the FFA, we've seen the process of football development and accreditation you know, very heavily centralised these days to make the pathway, I guess, more straightforward. The introduction of my football club the, uh, has allowed the registration and tracking and development of the referees to become, I guess, relatively easier as well in line, in line with clubs. Now, it's. I come to you, Christian, first off with this because obviously we're going to be talking about two particular levels: your community level and then your um, your advanced level. And while we do, while you do have the ability to be able to cover that as both a referee and as a futsal referee, we're going to just focus on the eleven aside um, to to start off with. And we start off with your, I guess, your community level, your level four referee, as you mentioned before. Um, Take us through sort of what the experience is like, sort of starting off at that level four and then if they're interested in getting into that level three. Yeah, so they're basically you start off with a online laws of the game and it's 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 quite simple, it's, it's quite basic. Uh, as long as you have the laws in front of you, you should be able to answer it quite, quite easily. Um, so it just takes a little bit of time, a little bit of reading. And what that does, it just gives you a, a good understanding of, the laws themselves. It doesn't go into the details of 
what tackle makes a red card or a yellow card and so on, but it just gives you an overview of the laws. Once that's been complete, and it takes about two to three hours, they then need to sit in a level four referees course, which goes into more depth on certain things such as report writing, yellow red cards, um, the severity of the fouls, is a careless, reckless or excessive force, things like that. And that's done at your local branch. And we have about 36, 37 local branches around football New South Wales. So there's always courses going on, especially during the start of the season and also mid-season. What normally happens is the referee will spend about 12 months um, as a level four, and then they'll then complete their level three, which is generally a couple of practical games where an assessor will come out and watch them, uh, make sure that they're competent at a certain level, and uh, then there'll be a small laws of game quiz as well that they'll do sometime within their branch, either pre-season, mid-season or at the end. Now, the... The, the experience in terms of the referees and the games that they're going to be doing, um, what would you consider to be sort of the, the top of level four and then transitioning into that, that level three? What level match would that entail? So a lot will depend on your age uh, and also your ability. When I came into the role seven years ago, there was always this strict rule of if, if you're 15, you can only do under 13s. If you're 16, you can only do under 14s. I thought that that slow progression and held referees back and it frustrated them as well because some referees at 14 have a good ability um, and why not give them high-grade games to test it out and, and keep them enjoying the game. So we changed it around. So a lot will depend on, on the ability of the referee. Um, so if you've got a, a bit more of a mature age, 18, 19, 20-year-old starting, um, there's no reason why they can't do lower senior football um, within the first few weeks, providing they've got that sort of confidence to make those decisions. But if you're young, 13, 14, then you're probably going to be officiating those types of level games for the first couple of years until you gain some confidence in the decision-making. You, know, you can communicate to players effectively. Um, so therefore, the games aren't going to go pear-shaped because the last thing you want to do is push referees too fast and put them at a level where they're not comfortable uh, and then dissent and, and whatever starts to escalate and their experience on the field's bad and they want to leave. So we've just got to manage expectations of referees um, and also make sure that they're safe on the field and they're not going to get find themselves getting into strife. Let's go to go to you, Zoe, and just sort of talk about your experiences coming through coming through the ranks because um, you know building up within probably one of the stronger associations with uh, within Sutherland, you would have had that experience of coming through the level four and the, um, maybe a bit of the level three as well. How has it been for yourself in in, in that aspect and that development? Yeah, I mean, really, really good. I've I've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to work with a lot of a lot of mentor mentors and get a lot of coaching um and lucky enough to be part of uh some of the development programs that football new south wales runs such as the the referees development panel and uh the football new south wales referees academy which has just given me extra time to work with with coaches more closely and 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 kind of focus on aspects of my game that i need to improve on rather than kind of an overarching approach to 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 refereeing and I, I think that's been what's progressed me so much in the last couple of years now when we progress after we progress from there obviously we then look at whether a play whether a referee should be saying um has got the ability to move into the advanced qualification then we start talking about level two and level one so chris take us through take us through that um because that's when we start really 
seen the or the the best really come out, and the testing does not get easier. In fact, if anything, it does get harder. Yeah, it certainly gets harder, um, and it also. You know, once once you start reaching those sort of levels, the competition increases as well. So there's less spots for referees. So when someone starts at level four, level three, there's an abundance of games because we can't cover all the games. So there's always games every single week. When we start getting to the level two, level one, it becomes really competitive, um, and you have to you have to train and you have to perform as well. So where we would sort of sit is a, if a level three referee is performing well, um, especially at the local level, local branch level. They'll be asked to sit their level two, which is, again, another laws of the game, which is really important. But they must complete two practical assessments on their top division of football, which would normally be either men's senior ones or women's senior ones um, or the, the local Premier League. So that's where they, they can gain their level two qualification. They can also gain it through the state league branch as well by doing state league football. Once they move from local football into State league, that's when we start looking at referees for level one. Um, to be able to do that, they must, again, complete a laws of the game. But then they must do two practical assessments on the highest level possible, which is the, the MPL one competitions of men's and women's. That's when we start to only look at maybe 20 referees, 25 referees that will be involved in that. And then those referees are then trying to battle it out to make the National League, which is the A-League. The, the competition must be fierce with that with that kind of limitation because we're basically talking about a panel of uh, of only a set of, of those set referees and these panels here you're not going to see much change happen over the course of the years I'd imagine. No, it's less than one percent of referees will make the A League, so it's a really small portion. Um, it's not impossible, and and it can happen, um, but it is a small portion and it does get competitive. Um, People that you've come through the ranks with and you become really good friends with, all of a sudden you, you're competing and at times you get the spot over them and, and so on. So it is competitive, but I think you need that competition, you need that competitive drive because if it was easy, then I don't think we'd have as good referees as what we have. So, you know, you need people pushing you all the way um, to, to make sure that your standard's where it needs to be um, to maintain your position. Well, let's talk about let's talk about that a little bit more and really go into the challenges of refereeing at uh, at those particular levels themselves. And Zoe, just to, to start off with yourself, I mean, talk about talk about your experiences with say refereeing in your local area compared with refereeing um, state league, and you know having that ability to sort of develop that familiarity um, quickly. How have you found sort of transitioning between your local competition and then state league? Yeah, I think that. Um I think the expectation on you as a referee is different, but I think the expectation from players is also is also different in in the respect that you know the game most of the games of course it depends what grades you're doing in your local branch, but typically they're a bit faster, the skill level is a lot higher, which is why they're playing you know the Premier League and um I think anticipating play is something that I've had to kind of, well, I'm still, you know, gaining an understanding of and um, it becomes a lot more crucial when you're, when you're doing those NPL matches because for someone particularly like me who's, you know, short and, and not as quick as, as some of 
the guys that are running around on the field um, trying to trying to keep up with play and get ahead of play and um, anticipate where it's heading is is really important for me. So I think that's been the biggest difference is, is working out how my positioning needs to suit the, the level that I'm refereeing. And what about, say, you know, this is one that obviously always comes out whenever you talk to any sort of refereeing is sort of the, the challenges of the the fans, the parents and the club's officials. It's always We always know it's prevalent, but the variety can be, uh, well, for lack of a better term, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get passionate parents and, and fans everywhere, but um, there's certainly no shortage of supply in the in the MPL games. I think that was, again, one of the biggest um, differences when I first started refereeing MPL. Um, the, the crowd that you've, especially at grandstand um, grounds that are quite close to the sideline, like, you know, your Illidan's, um, you see more sure sort of thing. Um, it, it, it's an interesting experience transitioning from local to MPL and and having that behind you for the first time. I think it takes a little bit to get used to, but once you've been doing it for a while, it's just kind of background noise and you learn to block it out and you learn to ignore it because at the end of the day, you know, you, you're there to do a job and you're not going to do it properly if you're wearing about some, you know, bozo in the stands yelling out at you. Well, Chris, I mean, the I can certainly speak from experience when it comes to that. When during my time when I was refereeing, um, and I made that tr- transition from refereeing local matches into refereeing the youth state youth state league. Started off doing the matches at, down at local my local ground, Cromer Park, but then having the opportunity to go out to some of the other uh, the grounds there. I think my big eye opening moment was when I did my first set of premier youth league matches and of all the places, all the games to do was um, up the youth matches for Apia Leichhardt versus Sydney United at Lambert Park. I was almost completely unprepared for the experience of doing these kinds of matches, these kinds of rivalries at a ground with that much history. Yeah, it's where I played as well. I played for Apia from 13s to 20s, so um, I, I quite like the ground, but it is an intimidating place. Uh, the crowd is literally on top of you. Um, they sit in a in a stadium or a, a grandstand with a tin roof, and the noise seems to echo across the field when people say things. So uh, it is it is a difficult place to go to, um, and it's also uh, it, it tests the referees out as well. But Zoe's right is that it becomes noise, uh, and I found when you're refereeing in the A League, you, you can't even hear it um, because the people are so far away. There's generally a lot more people. It's when you're refereeing in the community level or in the NPL level, especially in NPL three and four, you hear people more because there's less people. Um, so you can actually find out the individual who's who's yelling at you and so on. So it does become noise. You don't let it get to you. Um, you always think of the the higher goal, and uh, and that's what drove me along because I was punched in the face in my first year as a referee when I sent a player off, um, and that was rather unpleasant. But I didn't let it didn't let me. It wasn't going to stop me from trying to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And um, you learn from it. You make sure you stand a little bit further back so they can't um, they can't get hold of you. But it it comes with its ups and downs, I guess, refereeing. But yeah, the crowd you just you just block them out. 
that's what you try to anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's all you can ever do. Um, what about the the challenges? And Chris, I'm going to come to you with this one in, in particular. The challenges of the referees association themselves. You know, once upon a time, it could often be derided as an old boys club, but there's really been a push in the last five to ten years for modernisation of the referees, respective referees associations. In particular, not only just getting young talent on board, but also a focus on female referees joining the ranks. Yeah, look, female football is really important, um, and our female numbers have increased significantly over the last five years. But I guess part of when I came into the role, uh, we wanted to change things. And you would know the typical referees meeting on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night consisted of everyone turning up. You'd have to listen to the minutes from the previous week. You'd have to go through the secretary's report, the president's report, the update from the, the person who looks after the clothing and so on. And they were just really boring. So we've tried to change it. And we're lucky that we've got a lot of people within our local associations and our referee branches that identify the need to change and we want those sort of sessions where people are coming together to be able to talk about refereeing and to be able to educate people uh, and they're a lot more viable. So we've tried to change things like that. Um, we've brought in obviously academies for our young female and male referees uh, and that's to encourage them to be able to basically give them the skills they need to progress and I felt there was a gap there um, where people were coming in from community football and going into the state league and they're coming in underprepared because they just haven't experienced that type of football. So we wanted to create the RDP. We wanted to create the Referees Academy um, for both male and females and uh, and that's what we've done to try and help things. So we're really pleased with with that. Um, we've had a lot of success with our, with our women. We've had more success over the last couple of years with our women than what we've had with our men's by the way, getting onto the panels. But it's a faster transition um, because there is a little bit less competition and you can progress rather quickly um, as, a, as a female referee. So we've put a lot of focus on that and we're really grateful for the support that we've had um, to allow our girls to continue going. Zoe, I come to you sort of speaking within that realm. Yeah, no, um, I can definitely say that it's working, for at least for me personally, Um the the extra level of of coaching and and video analysis and just um just training as well that I've had and, and been lucky enough to have the opportunity to gain through the referees academy has been second to none. Um I can and I think the biggest thing is that you, you can see the improvement in your own game. You being able to see where you were before, you know, getting onto this, getting into this program, and and where you're at now, I like my fitness has improved out of sight, just because I I, I my training is targeted now. I, I've been advised on on better ways to train and better ways to keep myself fit, and and smarter ways to to run in a game and and position myself in a game, and I think that. It's it's definitely working, and I know that the other thing that it provides, which I think everyone kind of forgets, is that sense of community within refereeing. You know, having those familiar faces that you regular 
regularly refereeing with and regularly training with, it makes the experience so much better because it makes it so much enjoy more enjoyable knowing who you're out there with, being able to have fun with them on the field, having fun during your warm-ups, having fun during training. I think that's also been a massive plus to this program is just getting to know, you know, all, all the people that I'm refereeing with that are at a similar level to me. And I think it's really encouraging as well. Like like Chris said, you know, there's there's always going to be competition the, the more we progress, but I think everyone's very encouraging of each other. Like we want each other, everyone wants each other to ex- succeed, you know, and so – for me, it's been a really positive experience. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have uh, part two of our discussions on football refereeing. This is Splinters, the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Play, Google Store, TuneIn, Spotify, and all good podcast sites. We'll be right back. <laughs> Splinters Defense Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Play, Google Store, TuneIn, Spotify, and all good podcast sites, and indeed, some of your bad ones. We are talking about being a football referee with Zoe Benjamin and our special guest, Chris Griffiths-Jones. And just before we wrap up from what we were talking about beforehand, and I want to throw this question to Chris, is the the aim of football in New South Wales over the, the – I guess the next three to five years, where are you as a um, as an organisation looking to go next with the referees? Well, this is this is what we've done is we created these these groups, if you want to call them that, um, for both male and female to to basically have the most dominant match officials that you can have on the MPL. Um, that's our, our main goal is to have the best match officials. So we want 11 to 15 good quality referees and assistant referees that are vying for positions in our MPL competitions for both male and female. Because we believe if we have that and we have that competition, we'll become the most dominant state um, in regards to match officials on the A-League. We used to be many, many years ago, um, for whatever reason, we, we fell away. Queensland took that that um, that prize, but gradually over the last couple of years, we've started to really uh, increase our numbers, and that's where we want to go in the next couple of years. Uh, we want to be able to, to be the most dominant state. Uh, we want to have 11 to 15 uh, good quality, solid MPL referees, and furthermore, we're about to launch this year um, – a, uh, a campaign of Road to 99, and we want to reach 99% coverage across all our competitions in community football uh, within the next five years. Now, currently, we sit at maybe 80%, um, and it's going to be tough, but we believe that we can do that, and it's, it's going to come down to a lot of work, a lot of cooperation between the referees, the clubs, the associations. Um, but again, we believe that if we can get that coverage, we're going to increase player numbers because the biggest reason why players 18 and above leave the game is because of no referee. Uh, and then the next one, because of the quality of the referee. So we see we have a really important role to play in the development of players um, and help clubs increase their numbers uh, through participation. So that's where we, we sit uh, in the next five years. 
Well, let's talk about some of those administration cha- challenges that we're going to be coming. You're going to be experiencing as we uh, as you progress through to the to the 99 coverage, uh, and it's really around the alignment of programs for administration training and annual referees and. The big, obviously, the biggest game change that we've seen on an administration pers- uh, perspective has been the introduction of something like my football club. But we we yet to see sort of the, a a true centralisation of process when it comes to not only administration of the competition, um, training, enablement, and also entering results and discipline. And you know, Chris and Zoe, both of you, I could speak in particular to the experience of a software like MyCricket, which has really just become a comprehensive uh, administration system for the, the game of cricket. How have you found it with, say, My Football Club and then the ability to try and merge all of these systems together under one banner? Yeah, well, My Football Club um, has its purpose. It's, it's, it captures the data, it indicates how many referees we got, what level of qualification. I want to see, and we've spoken to FFA about it, and I don't know if this is possible, but I want to see something where we can identify how many games the referees had. So when they've hit 50 games, we can send them, you know, a voucher or 100 games of voucher, but also then remind them that there's a level three course coming up. So they've they've hit 50 matches, a level three course going on, so on. So we want to make it really more interactive. We want the ability to be able to capture everything that the referee does um, because if we feel if we have that information, then we can um, communicate more effectively um, because at the moment we, we know the referee's name, we know what branch they come from, and we know what qualification. Other than that, we don't know much about them uh, unless they're a part of our our uh, refereeing group. So we want to find out more. Um, we feel that that can help, again, grow the numbers uh, within refereeing uh, and then give incentives for referees to, to keep going. And I think if we can capture that information, then we'll hold on to more referees for longer. I mean, from your side, Zoe, the, it, it must be one of the hardest things to actually deal with then as well that, pe- that people don't often mention about as being referees is the, the background administration that goes into your life as a as a referee, um, you know, it may not be necessarily entry results, but certainly the, the the paperwork that has to go into it from time to time can't be exactly the most, um, you may not feel maybe the most useful use of your time. Yeah, look, I guess there's politics in, in, in every sport, but um, I, I, I don't know that it, it, it affects you that much for, from, a, from a real grassroots sort of level like I I don't know that you're that concerned with it at that point or that that aware of it Um, as you progress I think that you do become more aware of it and I think that I don't know for me for me personally it was just what what can I do to, to to help us push for for our goals so I know at my local branch we, uh, which which of course is Sutherland, uh, we've had a rehaul of our education kind of team that are, that are coaching and developing our our new referees and our our first time referees, and we're putting much more of a focus on on, on gaining like giving giving these these first time referees confidence when they go out to referee. I know that was something. That was really crucial for me when I first started. I had a I had a senior referee um, 
on my very first game who just basically said you're gonna do the you're gonna do the center and chucked me out in the center and I although I was terrified it was one of the best things because I I picked up confidence that quickly and I knew I had him on my line and he wasn't gonna let anything happen he was he was there to support me and I think that that's something that we can continue to do across our associations is is keep making that push that football New South Wales are also trying to do with developing our referees and, and building their, their skill base so that they can gain that confidence and, and keep going with it and get the enjoyment out of it. Because if, if you're confident with something and you have a positive experience with it, you're going to enjoy it more and you're going to want to stick with it. Um, so I think I think just on that side of things, it's just, you know giving giving back to the people that are that are also helping you out. Absolutely, and you know it's it's a, I guess it's a testament to football in New South Wales the way that it's that it's been developing over the last couple of years, and it can only really get better from from that perspective. Now we've had up to this point coming up to about. You know, 38 minutes of very serious talk about refereeing, but we all know football's a funny game. We all know that we what we come here to do and to so have a little bit of fun fun with it as well. And we're going to just open it up and you can get a little bit lighthearted with it. The first thing, obviously, want to uh, the first thing we're going to do is have a little bit of a poke at the fun of the at the laws of the game themselves. So, to, both to Zoe and Chris, you know, if you could have the first question I'm going to have, and I you know I encourage you to really go wild with it. If you could adjust any of the laws of the game right now, which one would it be and how and why? If I could adjust one, and it's funny, right, because this is something I've been saying for the last few years, if I could adjust one at a national level, it would be to introduce a sin bin to players. Luckily, we've been able to introduce it at a community football, um, but the the biggest one for me would be introduce a sin bin, especially for dissent. And I think that if we started having dissent, uh, if we if we want to try and stop dissent, then the, the punishment has to be further. So there'll be two things that we do. There'll be a sin bin um, for the player and then the team, the, the team that's um, got the free kick now um, or for whatever reason, um, they can then move the ball forward. So... Descent becomes a uh, a free kick, a direct free kick, so that means they can score directly into the goal, not an indirect free kick, and um, they can move the ball forward. So if a team has been given a free kick and it's six yards outside the penalty area and the defending team wants to carry on and whinge and, and yell and scream, then the player gets in bin and the ball gets moved forward 10 yards, and if it ends up in the penalty area, it becomes a penalty kick. So that's the law that I would change that. You can move the ball forward um, and the sin bin is uh, introduced. You know what? I like that. And, and and the reason why I like that in particular is because you, you see far too often in some of the national and international matches, if a particular call is made, you just watch just about every man in their dog just swarm the referee in regards to the decision. It, it gives me the absolute um, sugar, honey, iced tea, no end, and it makes me wonder, for in particular at that level, why more yellow cards for dissent are not given out. Now, Zoe, I mean, get your thoughts on it, but 
I'm going to be honest, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't quite come up with my own, and I, I have to back Chris there because the the sim bin that they have implemented in the in the grassroots kind of level has worked really well, um, and been been really effective in helping game manage and player manage. And I think because um, the, the the thing with it is, if a player knows that they're going to end up on the sideline for a bit, they're a lot less likely to say something to you especially if you can give them a warning that that's where they're heading i think as well so yeah no, i have to agree that that that's something that you know in a couple years like well just not even a couple years but you know moving keep moving towards looking around how that could best be be implemented in the in the top top levels now I've got now I've got for, for just for fun I've got some of those rule changes that have occurred over the last um, thirty years or so and the one that really sticks in my mind and Chris you're going to speak to this well in particular but there was a particular rule change um, in the year two thousand I want to see if you can remember the rule change that occurred there and it did involve goalkeepers um, two thousand um, I would have been. 22, was it the one when we could then just grab the ball and run around the box and you had six seconds to kick it? That is correct. It is the, the they used to have the uh, the four-step restriction for goalkeepers when they were handling the ball replaced with six seconds. Uh, along with that also, goalkeepers were no longer to be charged at while they were holding the ball. But for mine, I, I used to think for a long time until I actually changed that rule, the four-step rule was one of the stupidest laws I'd ever come across. Yeah, I didn't like it as a goalkeeper because I I didn't have, until I got a bit older actually, I didn't have a big kick. So if I got the ball down near the goal line, I had four steps to kick it and I could barely kick it outside the 18-yard box. So um, that made my life a lot easier as a referee where I could then just charge up to the edge of the 18-yard box and launch it. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually enjoyed that rule change. That one was a good one to me. The one when you when the defender could no longer pass it back and you could pick it up because when I was younger, you would practice goalkeeping and, and that's all you did. You didn't necessarily kick the ball with your feet um, on the ground and so on. So that rule stuffed me up a bit because all of a sudden you had to learn football skills, not just goalkeeper skills. <laughs> oh, that is, that's too true. That's too true. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this one for you completely uh, and you don't have to answer on this for this one in particular, but I think your, in terms of NPL, your favourite ground to go to and your least favourite ground to go to. Um, I, I enjoy going to Lambert Park because that's that's where I played. Um, I, I just like the ground. Uh, it's it's a nice small ground. The least favourite, not for not for any reason, um, would probably be Rockdale. Um, because it's it's such an intimidating place. Um, you you come out of the change room, you literally walk through a cage tunnel uh, to get on the field. The, the oh, fans, I remember that cage. Oh, yeah. the fans are right up against it, um, especially when you're leaving the field. So it's that's probably a, it's a real intimidating place to go, especially if Rockdale have lost and you've got to you've got to walk up that field and and fans are literally grabbing hold of that fence. So. Um, it's it's not my least favorite in regards to I enjoy the, the field and the teams and so on. It's just a, it's probably the most intimidating place you have to go to. Zoe, 
Yeah, I mean, I I tend to agree that it's a it's a very intimidating place. I have uh, it's probably Illidan. I've refereed quite a lot at, especially because it's it's one of my more local uh, grounds. But um, this will this will sound really stupid, and it'll sound like a bit of a, a bit of a complaint. But um, on a on a hot day, Stanmore the field the field at Stanmore heats up so much through your boots. That um, I've I've ended up with burns on, on on my feet just from standing out there um, on a, on a really really hot day. So <laughs> that that one for me, I don't like going to anymore because I've had a bad experience there. Um, what about what about your favorite ground? Favorite ground, favorite ground. One of the first artificial grounds I ever refereed at. I was lucky enough to referee out was Valentine's. So Valentine's, even though it's a bit of a trek for me, it's always going to have a, a soft spot in my heart because, yeah, that was the first the first proper taste I had at a level that was that was higher than just my local branch football. I I had um I had a couple in mind. I, I certainly agree with Chris about Ellendon. It is very intimidating there. Um, the Two favourites I've got. This is this is going to sound very weird, and it's for very uh, very unusual reasons. I, I agree. I loved once I got used to it. I loved refereeing at Lambert Park. Um, they the, the administrators there really do sort of look after the place. It's a credit to the club as a whole, not least of which is when you turn up for in between games and it's around lunchtime, and all of a sudden you turn up. There's an empty bus or platter waiting for waiting for you in the uh, in the change room. I hope they're still doing it to this day. Um, the other one, which actually sort of surprised, is uh, Eric Primrose Reserve, which of course is the old home of the the uh, the Parramatta City, which I think became eventually became Rydalmere Lions. Um, and for no other reason but the souvlaki they used to serve there was first class. <laughs> um, and, and, and this is important, you know, a good a good canteen is 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 paramount to an, to an enjoyable experience as a referee as well. Arlington has a great, great canteen actually as well. Arlington. Arlington, yeah. They yeah, okay. also do a Suvlaki according to my according to my dad, which um he rates top notch. There, there's there's a there's a top tip, ladies and gentlemen. So to go check it out down there. Um your funniest moment while refereeing a game. Uh well the funniest moment wasn't the funniest moment at the time, but it's turned into the funniest moment, is it was my very first MPL game. It was Sydney Olympic versus Apia in first grade. And yeah. um, a player was on the ground and another player was on top of them and they were sort of wrestling. And as I've gone to run in, I've planted my right foot and one of the players on the ground swung his foot accidentally and hit me, which then means I then fell on top of them. As well, so it looked as if I came running in and just Bundy jumped on top <laughs> to try and sort it out. So uh, yeah, it was it was rather embarrassing, especially on your first game with a couple of people watching you. But um, you look back at me now and you you laugh at that sort of incident. Zoe, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to top that one, but I suppose uh, all embarrassing moments come from either a player taking you out or, or getting smacked with the ball, and. Uh, Mine would be the same one. I was lucky enough that it was a trial match, so there were, weren't too many eyes on me. But um, I I don't know 
how I managed to get caught. I was just kind of running and then someone's just run straight into the back of me and rolled over me and I'm I'm a pretty small person. So I rolled rolled around for a bit and then kind of jumped up and I kind of spun myself in circles because I wasn't sure where I was or where the ball was at that point. So I looked looked like a bit of a bit of a goose. My one was, jeez, uh, I'm going to be ending up at Lambert Park the way I'm going. It was a game between Apia and um, Sydney Olympic in the uh, under 15s game, and I remember refereeing, and one of the players actually started swearing in Italian. Fifteen year old kid doing this, so I went out and booked him, and. And actually said to her, and I thought I'd be a little bit of a smart aleck with this, and as, as I've been known to do from time to time, and I actually told him in Italian that if he repeated that again, he would be sent off. And I showed him just a little bit of discretion. And the only reason I showed him the discretion for that was because I don't think anyone, not many people involved in that game would have actually understood what he was saying. At the end of the game, the parents come back to me He's gone. Why'd you book my? Oh, like they're, they're obviously irritated. They're going. Why'd you book my son? And he goes because he swore. And he should be thankful he wasn't sent off. He goes. Oh, really? What would you know about it? And I actually had to explain to him. Well, um, my surname is Caruso. He's turned around to his son and he's gone. Why on earth would you swear in Italian in front of an Italian? <laughs> <laughs> I just went. I I, I just I, I dropped my head and just started giggling myself because I'm just thinking parents are teaching gamesmanship and how to manage and how to handle anger at that young an age and using that as a get out cause. <laughs> not to be honest, nine times out of ten you would have gotten away with it as well. He would have. I wouldn't. <laughs> the have one. No. The one game. Go on, Zoe. No, I just said no either. Uh, it was just I, I, I ended up laughing all the way there and the administrator, one of the club administrators came over to me and, exp- and said he this is and explained what happened to him and he, he, he's apologising profusely and I said, mate, no, no, don't worry about it. It's actually one of the I, – I was still laughing about five minutes later about the whole thing. So um, fancy trying to avoid, trying to show your frustration by swearing in Italian and then getting booked by the only time you ever have an Italian referee in front of you. So um, that, that, that kid probably learned some lessons very quickly in, indeed. Um, your personal biggest achievement as a referee. Now, Chris, obviously you, you've had the opportunity of refereeing in the A-League, what an experience it would have been for yourself. Um, obviously a couple of the major major finals matches as, as well. What's your most memorable moment from covering A-League matches? Oh, look, nothing beats a Sydney derby. Uh, the the one at the Sydney Football Stadium, I did a couple there, but the very first one I did, uh, it was 42,000 people. I can't I think the score was 3-2 to Sydney. I can't remember now. Um, but as a referee... You, you've only got that time when you walk onto the field and the, then you line up and then the players start shaking your hands to actually appreciate where you are and um, and have that just moment to, to look around the stadium and, and see. Because once the whistle blows, everything else around you sort of just goes away uh, and you concentrate on, on the match. But the Sydney derbies, Melbourne derbies were fantastic as well. So for me, they were the, they were the highlights. And as so, so you could just you could only imagine what it'd be like refereeing a Sydney derby. I mean, I remember going to the first ever Sydney derby, derby that they had at the Olympic Stadium. Now, I never thought I would experience a club game 
in any code where you'd have 65, nearly 70,000 people turn up to the Olympic Stadium, but this was deafening beyond belief. Yeah, look, I think it's the the dream, of course, for a lot of referees is to get to that level and, and have that experience. And I can imagine that it'd probably be like nothing that you've imagined it to be and it would it would definitely take you by surprise and I think that um no matter no matter how much you think about it, as as Chris described, once you take those first steps out onto the field it's just it's something completely new and different and I you know, I really hope that I get to experience that one day. And so there's one more thing I need to ask about, Chris, because that game in particular would have been one of the earlier ones. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that would have had Shinji Ono playing for the Western Sydney Wanderers against Alessandro Del Piero for Sydney FC. Yeah, it would have. It was it was massive. Um, and and again, when you when you're out in the middle and you you see those plays that are around you as well, and um, you're really just appreciative of of where you are and. Um, and, and thank you sort of self how lucky you are to be refereeing these games and refereeing these plays in front of such big crowds. It's it's something that will live with me forever. And um, and my job now is to try and get referees to that level so they can experience the same thing. What about you, Zoe, your, your most memorable experience as a referee? Yeah, it's it's funny because my most memorable, memorable experience, I don't think was a specific match, but it, it was – I keep harping on about it, but it was actually the the moment I got the call from uh, Rob Newenhouse uh, that I had made the the New South Wales Referees Academy. I actually missed the first phone call because I was I was in uni, so I had to call him back, and um, I just yeah I couldn't I couldn't believe it because I had tried out for the year before, and I don't think that I. Well, from my personal standards, I don't think that I did well at all. My fitness was so below par and um, I just wasn't quite there. And for me, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's necessarily true, but I put a lot of, uh, put a lot of, um, not sure, not sure the word, but um, for me, this this year's trial was really important because I was, you know, turning twenty this year, and and that program is targeted, you know, towards younger referees. I think they start to cap it off once you know you get to a certain age, and so I kind of figured if it wasn't going to happen this year, that it might it might not happen, and um, to to be able to to get to that level. Um, was was just yeah I was over the moon about it and and so much good has come from it you know the tournament experience I've gained um, some of the some of the high level matches that I've done and of course like I've mentioned before just the training that it's given me um, yeah I've been really really grateful for the opportunity. Well, ladies and gentlemen, with that the referees have. Now blown their full blown full time on themselves for a change. It's been a thoroughly enthralling experience talking about the lives of football referees, something that we should all look to get involved with at some point during our time, whenever we're involved with sport. You know, if, especially if we are to appreciate the true challenges that can be experienced dur- um, during our matches. I want to thank our two guests tonight. Firstly, Zoe Benjamin, always a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, always a pleasure to be here. 
And uh, Chris Griffiths-Jones, on behalf of everyone at Triple H Sports, thank you so much for giving your time for this. And we would love to have you on the show again at some point. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, with that, thank you very much yourselves for joining us here on Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download from podcast.com, Apple Store, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and all good Apple stores. And these are some of the bad ones that haven't been booked yet. My name is Anthony Caruso. As always, run hard or run home. Good night. Good night.